Well, it's a quiet start to the week this week, but the same issues remain. Inflation, Ukraine, supply chains. China has introduced more lockdowns over the weekend. But on the bright side, we might be closer to a peace deal over Ukraine. Or not. And on inflation, how will the hawkish stance by the FOMC flow through to this week? Fed speakers are out in force. Will they talk it up or try and rein it in a bit? Certainly the prospects of higher interest rates aren't worrying the share market investors in the US right now. And out of all of it, the Aussie dollar seems to be the beneficiary right now. Why is that? It's Monday, the 21st of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So the Aussie dollar managed to climb back over 74 US cents at the end of last week, gaining half a percent on Friday and 1.7% up on the week, despite uh, the dip early on in the week. And that Friday gain was despite a stronger US dollar as well, which climbed a quarter percent on Friday on the DXY. But it was down more than 1% over the week last week. So it wasn't a terrific week either for the Japanese yen, down half percent on Friday and 1.6% over the whole week. The euro climbed 1.2% last week, although it fell away a little on Friday. And US stocks continue continued to rally as the week finished. The Nasdaq up 2% on Friday, 8% over the week. The S&P 500 up over 6% as well. All the uncertainty in the world right now and equities back on the rise. Even in Europe, the Eurostox 50 rose on Friday, ending the week uh, with a climb of 5.9%. And bond yields down at the end of the week. Ten-year treasuries finished at 2.15%, having started the week below 2%. But look at Aussie 10 years. They, their yields have climbed almost 20 basis points last week to 2.6% by the weekend, the highest since 2019. And this rise in yields, well, it's almost universal, isn't it? German bunds, for example, up 17 basis points last week to 0.37%. Remember when they were negative? It wasn't that long ago. And oil uh, finished the week back on the rise. WTI up 1.7% on Friday. Brent up 1.2%, up to almost $108, from below 70 at the start of December to around 130 earlier this month. So we know the general direction, even though it's gone up and down a bit lately. And that will continue to be the focus this week, of course, I'm sure. Here's NAB's Ray Actual in Sydney. So with commodities back on the rise, Ray, is that what's uh, helping the Aussie dollar? Uh, because last week, you know, as I just said, you know, a stellar week for the Aussie dollar. Well, I'm not sure. Good morning, Phil. But uh, insofar as it actually wasn't a great week for commodities, whereas, you know, if we, if we think about the last sort of few months or so, there's been, you know, this battle, if you like, between risk sentiment, which has clearly been a negative influence, as it traditionally is for the Aussie, but the balance against the uh, you know the extreme gains that we've seen in commodity prices particularly in the energy complex and you know to a lesser extent base metals which tends to be the most important ones for the currency uh, so the fact that the Aussie was onwards and upwards and closed at its uh, what is its highest closing level for the year um, in that sense was a little bit of a surprise but I did so I think it uh, probably risk sentiment is probably you know probably was the dominant influence but also just looking at some of the market positioning data that we get from the Chicago futures market. So we had the latest update on Friday evening for the week ending last Tuesday. And what stands out is that we've seen a quite dramatic uh, covering of short Aussie dollar positions amongst sort of speculative traders. Uh, This may not be fully representative of the market, but we've seen an almost halving of what we call the net speculative short positions. So there is clearly a short squeeze that is uh, in in train here um, with a lot of sort of speculators 
who, you know, justifiably would have thought that, uh, well, given that, um, you know, it looks like, um, you know, war in Ukraine is imminent and, and, of course, you know, began on the 24th of February, for many people being, you know, short Aussie against currencies like the Japanese yen um, would have been their go-to trade. And here we are with the Aussie yen exchange rate, uh, one of the best performing on the year. So I think a lot of people have been sort of short and caught, to borrow an expression that is popular in the uh, in the financial markets. And so I think there's definitely an element of that that sort of transcends maybe those sort of fundamental influences of, of risk sentiment, commodity prices and, and relative interest rates. So those you also know, uh, also noted in the intro, you know, Aussie yields have been rising relative to US yields. So that just provides a little bit of an additional tailwind, I'd argue. Well, I mean, there's two things, isn't there? There's all the uncertainty right now and then there's the more hawkish stance on the Fed. So we should look at the, those two uh, and the uncertainty really obviously all relates to Ukraine. Uh, Biden and Xi Jinping, they met, they talked. Uh, there was always the danger that it would do more harm than good, really. Well, they didn't reach any common ground anyway uh, over Ukraine and Russia uh, and a thinly veiled threat that if uh, if China provided any sort of military aid, uh, then Joe Biden, you know, making it clear that there would be some sort of reaction. So n- not exactly friendly talk, but it, it's not pushed us forward anymore, has it? But although then you look at the uh, the front page of the FT this, uh, this morning, we are sort of reporting that maybe uh, peace talks are getting closer to some sort of resolution. We hope so. If we'd recorded this podcast 24 hours ago and, you know, having just read the uh, the media reporting of the uh, the Biden-Xi uh, two-hour phone conference that took place on Friday, you know, I'd have been sceptical that the, uh, the positive mood uh, towards, you know, an early peace agreement of some sort, um, you know, that, that clearly carried risk markets forward last week was going to survive the start of the new week. As you say, nothing really positive has come out of there. Um, but then, you know, if you look at those, the, the reports you've just mentioned, which I think are sourced to uh, Turkey's foreign minister, who is mediating the talks between Russia and Ukraine officials. And it's saying that, you know, they have almost reached agreement on four critical points of a potential peace agreement. So um, that, I think, probably is going to carry the um, carry the day as far as the early part of the week is concerned. If it can provide an out for Putin, because it's clearly not going well for him, and if he can come back and say, well, we've done some of the stuff that we said we were going to do. So some of that relates to those more radical nationalist groups, the uh, which, you know, he'd call the denazification uh, of Ukraine. If he can come back with that and sort of like changing some of the street names from Ukraine nationalists, you know, so which all seems like quite small stuff, given all the devastation that's going on. Uh, maybe that's all he needs. And there's other reports that, uh, you know, perhaps there's going to be face to face talks between the two of them sitting at opposite ends of a, a very long table. I mean, they're just a suggestion at this stage. But I mean, generally, uh, the winds seem to be moving in a positive direction, don't they? Certainly, certainly do. Anyway, and, and just going back to the beginning, talking about commodity prices, a little bit of the heat has come out of the of some commodity markets, at least, and that would, would seemingly, you know, also be you know directly related to uh, to a view that yeah. uh, you know maybe within a matter of weeks we can have at least some sort of, if only temporary, ces- um, cessation of hostilities. But I think the broader point there, and, and certainly our commodities um, experts have been uh, have been saying that you know a lot of these markets, particularly energy, were extremely tight even prior to Russia's invasion and that, um, you know, even if the, you know, there was a cessation of hostilities, then, you know, that's not necessarily going to mean that we're going to go back down to, you know, $70, $80 oil in a hurry, for example. So, you know, yeah. we do think that the commodity price strength is going to uh, endure almost irrespective of, of how things play out in the coming weeks. Now, inflation, of course, that's the other big concern. Uh, and these all, all, the, all points are linked to one another, aren't they? But if you're looking at the constituents of uh, inflation, like a lack of supply uh, 
and then strong demand and strong jobs. Then look at Canada on Friday. Retail sales are up 3.2% month on month. Almost half a million new jobs, a 1.1% lift in house prices. The direction is, I mean, they're obviously not the only ones, but they're, they're, the direction is up for, for everyone, isn't it? So, I mean, that, that just emphasizes the need for central banks to, to go hard to try and, you know, quash some of this demand. Well, certainly, yes, yes. It's just another one of a, of a long string of positive upside surprises, whether it's inflation or real economic activity in Canada. So, you know, that pretty much cements um, a 50 basis point increase for the Bank of Canada when they meet. I think they're meeting on the 13th of April. Uh, markets are pretty well priced for that now. Um, at the same time, you look at all the Fed commentary that's come out on Friday, uh, whether you want to listen to Christopher Waller, to uh, uh, James Bullard or, um, you know, Thomas Barkin or even even the traditionally dovish Kash- Neil Kashgari, Kashgari. Yeah. they're all pretty much singing from the same uh, hymn sheet. Um, it's only three of those four. Kash- Kashgari hasn't come out explicitly calling for a, a 50 point uh, or a series of 50 point rate rises, but does say that he supports the beginning of balance sheet reduction as early as the next meeting. Um, but certainly we've got, uh, well, Bullard, we know, already went, already wanted 50 basis points. But um, uh, Christopher Waller, his former uh, protege at the St. Louis Fed, you know, seems to be very like-minded at least and then Barkin's comments are also in the same vein and just having a look at market pricing I think we're we're sort of halfway between 25 and 50 basis points um, as far as the next May meeting is concerned but if I look across both the May and June meetings combined we've got um, 72 and a half basis points of tightening which is saying that it's odds on that at least one of the next two meetings is going to deliver a 50 point rate increase mm. and Covid remember that thing it hasn't gone away uh, it resurfaced uh, in the news last week, mainly in relation to China, uh, a, a clear sign that, you know, if you're not jabbed, you're probably not going to be feeling that great. It remains infectious and China hasn't really uh, become attuned to that just yet. More cases reported over the weekend. The city of Jilin, 4.5 million people in lockdown for the next uh, few days. 4,000 cases in China on Sunday, most of them in that province. Uh, non-essential businesses remain closed in Shenzhen. So supply chains are going to be disrupted for some time yet. Uh, so uh, if that is one of those root causes of the inflation we're seeing, then we can expect it to be with us longer, presumably. No, absolutely. And uh, as I say, two deaths reported, <coughs> excuse me, in, in that Jolin uh, province, which are, I think the first reported death since January last year. So you, you'd have to think that that can only, um, you know, embolden the authorities to say, look, we have to persist uh, with the zero COVID policy, even though we did hear, you know, various comments towards the end of last week from the highest echelons of the uh, of the Chinese Communist Party talking about, um, you know, they need to seek, their measures need to seek maximum effect with minimum cost in controlling the virus. So that does suggest that, um, you know, the economic consequences of these lockdowns are, are not lost on the authorities. And, you know, they're looking for ways that they can minimise the impact. But um, uh, so I think that uh, that Jolin news, at least from Friday, will just, uh, you know, have the market thinking that um, they, for the time being, nothing is going to change. And as you say, uh, the supply supply chain implications for prices can only get uh, worse in the near term at least. Well, it's a fairly quiet start to the week, isn't it, really? We get, I think Christine Lagarde is talking from the ECB later on. We get the uh, the balance of trade numbers for New Zealand. Uh, we get the uh, PPIs for Germany for February and uh, one- and five-year loan rates for, for China. What, what's your your focus going to be today? Well, we did have comments from, I think, China. The China loan prime rate agreement uh, would, would probably be the sort of headline number, although we had last week we had the um, what's known as the, 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 um, the MLF, which is uh, usually yeah. precedes 
needs any change in the loan prime rate. That was unchanged against expectations that it might be shaved by 10 basis points uh, or so. So um, obviously the Chinese authorities can, can do things however they, they see fit. But normally, you know, given that unchanged MLF, would expect the loan prime rate to be unchanged. But in the comments that we had out of the NPC um, at the beginning or, or last weekend, there was a very strongly worded statement talking about further easing measures you know, before the end of Q1. And uh, mm. so this is the only LPR announcement that we have in Q1. So uh, maybe there'll be a surprise, but uh, certainly some form of additional easing measures uh, on the monetary policy front, either a, a, a reserve requirement ratio cut and or um, a cut in rates shouldn't be more than a few weeks away. So we'll be looking at that. Other than that, it's fairly slim pickings today, as you know. And I think probably towards the end of the week, the, the sort of banner economic releases are probably going to be those flash PMIs that we get, particularly out of the Eurozone, which will obviously pick up the um, you know the outbreak of uh, or the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which was the twenty mm. fourth of February. So um, you know, just looking at market consensus, every single measure, services, manufacturing, France, Germany, eurozone, all expected to be down. So I think that'll be yeah. a key economic focus, but um, but not for today. And hopefully just transitory, to use that word. Uh, we shall see, because who knows what the future has in store for us in that particular uh, sphere of influence. But we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. Uh, catch you again very soon. Thanks, Ray. In fact, I think we're catching you tomorrow. We are indeed. Speak to you then. And I'm back tomorrow as well. No surprises there. I'm Phil Dobby from the NAB. Uh, enjoy your Monday. See you tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. <laughs>